if we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Yes, indeed it is. And hour number two is now underway at nine minutes past ten. And thank you for being with us uh, on AM 1420. The answer, it's the 20th morning of the seventh month of the year of our Lord 2020. Coming up in a half an hour, we did add a guest. I told you at the top of the show we might have a seven o'clock, or excuse me, seven o'clock. Where'd that come from? We might have a 10 o'clock hour guest. Um, but it wasn't confirmed. I have confirmed it now. Jack Windsor's going to come back on with us, but not to talk about COVID-19 particularly. Not to talk about Governor Mike DeWine, who yesterday went on with uh, on uh, Meet the Press with uh, Chuck Todd and uh, professed, uh, you know, of course, all of his angst and concern about how high it was going to be the next Florida and how everybody is going to die this horrible death and all of the other nonsense, the fear-mongering that he is uh, so well known for. Mike DeWine is going to use that as the impetus to ordering new or issuing new orders in the state this week. Uh, so, you know, we're going to talk to Jack later in the week, actually, on Wednesday about that. We'll see what he does, whether it's a statewide mask mandate, whether it's a shutdown of certain counties or these kinds of things. But we're going to talk to Jack about something different today. At uh, 1035, he's going to come on. We're going to talk about the New York Times. And we're going to talk about what he knew and we knew and a lot of other people knew was coming. You know that somebody is effective in, in challenging the narrative and hammering away at the lies when the New York Times dispatches somebody to come and attack your credibility. And that's exactly what happened to Jack. Jack, along with uh, Alex Berenson, who's a former New York Times reporter, by the way, um, Alex, of course, on a much bigger platform. He's got a much bigger name and a lot more contacts. He's written some books, et cetera, et cetera. He has, has, has been getting much more publicity about this. But here in Ohio, Jack Windsor has kind of, kind of taken on the same type of, um, uh, role. He's been challenging the lies about COVID-19, of Mike DeWine, the suppression of data and statistics and context by Mike DeWine and his team. He has uncovered a lot of that dirt. And uh, Mike DeWine hates him for it, to be quite frank. And you know he's effective because the New York Times sent Ben Smith, um, who is just an absolute trash reporter, to come to Ohio and dig up some dirt on Jack Windsor and discredit him. 
essentially attacking elements of his personal life, factual or otherwise, that would take the focus off of his reporting and his questioning of the Ohio data and, uh, and put the focus on his personal life instead. It is disgusting. It is reprehensible. It is expected. It is liberal journalism. Journalism died at the New York Times a long time ago. We all know that. We talked about Barry Weiss, and we talked about Alex Berenson. And now the New York Times is talking about Jack Windsor. So we're going to talk about that with him coming up at 1035. Give him an opportunity to respond to some of the allegations, some of the misinformation, and uh, put this disgusting New York Times display behind us so that we can focus on the work at hand, which is responding to Mike DeWine's response uh, here in the state of Ohio to the coronavirus. All right? So that's important. Now I want to talk about something else that's extraordinarily important before I go to the phone calls. Do you know what one of the number one uh, tenets of the Black Lives Matter uh, theology is? We've talked about it in the past. The Marxist Black Lives Matter organization has in its mission statement um, the goal of uh, deconstructing, if you will, the nuclear family. See, the nuclear family is apparently kind of a white thing. Having a mother and a father in the home, <clears throat> raising children, teaching them with love and with discipline and with respect and with responsibility, you know, the, the, the benchmarks, quite frankly, of the American society, which is the greatest country and the greatest force for good in the history of human civilization. It was built upon the nuclear family. The Black Lives Matter organization seeks to destroy that. It's in their own language. Okay? That's why the Black Lives Matter organization is is something that is not to be um, viewed admirably. It's not something to be supported, because it has nothing to do with black lives. It's not about race. It's certainly not about saving black lives. It's about political power and the deconstruction of the United States of America as you know her. So they don't believe in the nuclear family. They believe the nuclear family should be destroyed, which is why this article in American Greatness is so important. <clears throat> Restoring and building the family. Social transformation continues at a breakneck pace. Ideas germinating in leftist fever swamps have become public dogmas in a matter of a generation or a couple of weeks or just the last few hours. Thus, the calls by Sophie Lewis and most notably, or most recently rather, Black Lives Matter to abolish the family cannot be ignored. Lewis's book, Full Surrogacy Now, Feminism Against the Family renews the feminist call for the abolition of the family. Simone de Beauvoir, if I'm saying it correctly, and I hope I am, founding mother of modern feminism, said in a 1972 interview, I think the family must be abolished and replaced with communes or with other forms which have yet to be invented. The list of feminists who followed Beauvoir is long. Revolutionaries from Black Lives Matter have hopped on board now, hoping to disrupt the Western-prescribed nuclear family structure and replace it with extended families and villages that collectively care for one another. In other words, they are just collectivists. Moderate family abolishers merely hope families will wither away into irrelevance without much pushing. For these moderates moderate by my desperate standard, progressive steps must be taken to weaken the authority of parents over children, to thin out family loyalty, and to detach husbands and wives. Others, more radical like Beauvoir, think families should be prescribed laws backed by force. Families should be mocked and dishonored as comfortable concentration camps. 
a public opinion shaped by Black Lives Matter radicalism, would not permit anyone to trade social ill, trace social ills like poor education, murder, or crime to family uh, breakdowns. I want to pause here. I want to pause here and just point out something that we have talked about often on this program. This is what Larry Elder talks about on a regular basis. The breakdown of the black family in particular. He's talked about that as the root cause of why there are wealth gaps between races, why there are education gaps, achievement gaps, crime gaps, etc. It's all about the breakdown of the family. And this is why Black Lives Matter radicals would not want anybody to ever talk about that again. We have to get rid of the family as a a unit altogether. Back to the article. For Lewis, the radical, every time is a good time to abolish the family. On George Soros' Open Society website, she argues, the coronavirus crisis shows it's time to abolish the family. At The Nation, her acolytes chime in, want to dismantle capitalism? Abolish the family. A fawning interview at Vice captures the spirit. We can't have a feminist future unless we abolish the family. Her rhetoric aims to put those who would defend the family on their heels, making them own every horror that has ever originated in a family. People are not safe in their own homes, so the coronavirus stay-at-home order consigns women to intimate partner rape or children to psychological torture. Far from me. Far from being a haven and a heartless family life for Lewis is child abuse, molestation, intimate partner rape, psychological torture, and more. Being in the home genders all concerned as housework becomes a mean moray. The family, according to this view, is a pressure cooker, a source of repression. People come to think that they have responsibilities or duties to other people. This makes them vulnerable and angry. Worst of all, it oppresses women who would never take on such duties unless tricked by the patriarchy. Such ills would disappear, for Lewis, with full surrogacy. Full surrogates would not just carry a baby for another. We would all be surrogates for each other, spontaneously and with great dedication. We would inhabit bigger, broader systems of care that fully provide people with the love, uh, the support and love that they today expect from blood relations. Liberal feminists before Lewis have embraced this surrogate family for a generation in the hope of creating what they call intensive caregiving units, ICGUs. While some feminists would allow the blood tie to remain at the heart of such units, for radicals like Lewis, full surrogacy transcends blood. These are not the mere ravings of academic cranks. David Brooks, weather vane of the respectively woke, weather vane of the respectively woke, now agrees the nuclear family has been a mistake, and it should be replaced by virtuous group living. First, the pretense. Air sometimes gives destructive energy to, or agency to fire, so let's abolish air. Radicals try to make defenders of family life own every misfire of every family, while denying the contributions of families to sustaining and nurturing life. Anyone who makes the argument is no well-meaning reformer, but a fanatical revolutionary with no interest in making anything better. In fact, it turns out the family misfires are all on her side. Subcultures in America have long moved in the direction of the abolition that Lewis embraces. Fewer families form in the mean streets of Baltimore or in the hollers of Appalachia than ever. Has there ever been some major movement toward peace? Greater trust? Less violence, brotherhood, and human happiness in these parts of our country? Have decreases in family contact led to upward mobility or happiness or justice? 
No. Instead, crime, misery, dashed hopes, and violence beset these communities. Lewis and anyone who endorses her ideology, including Black Lives Matter, must own this misery. And they ought to be made to blush if they have consciences. There probably has never been and never will be a human association more crucial to civilizing human beings than the biological family, especially when it is duly limited in a political community. Certainly not the university and not in the New York Times editorial page. The choice isn't between the oppressive family and liberated Elysian fields. It is between the mostly good family and the killing fields. Don't play the music just yet. I want to finish this. Why? Human beings thrive when they can trust others with their lives and honor. Families build themselves in mutual reliance, and by habit and experience, they build such trust. Mutual reliance shows that all those who are independent in the family are also responsible for someone other than themselves, and thus they come to love someone other than themselves. Who do you call in times of illness or distress? Who but a strong, virtuous husband or brother will protect a smaller, smaller, vulnerable woman from a predator or a thief? Who can you count on when, you're con- when you contract cancer or have your dreams crushed or when you're an infant? If you have no one, your life is very poor indeed. Those with families are most likely to have someone. The COVID-19 lockdowns reveal these truths to more of us every day. Americans should seek to, seek to extend the blessing of the family life to more people. Sophie Lewis and her feminist allies, including Black Lives Matter, blow the smoke of a pernicious ideology that instead seeks the family's destruction. That ideology distracts us from our true problems while exacerbating them. We must clear the underbrush of anti-family ideologies to address the real problems confronting Americans. Lewis screams too much marriage when, in fact, it is not enough. She says abolish. In reality, we must build. That was from American Greatness yesterday. It was very important to share it with you today, and I would like you to react to it at 216-901-0945. The forces that are destroying the inner cities today, all of these violent riots that are going on, all came from broken families. Understand that. The looters, the robbers, the rioters, the assaulters, the destroyers, the killers... They're all products of broken families. And Black Lives Matter seeks to break up more families. It's in their mission statement. You chew on that and get back to me at 216-901-0945. Everybody knows. Okay, let's get a few phone calls in here. John has been waiting patiently in Berea since the last hour. Sorry about that delay, John, but you're now on the air. Go right ahead. Yes, uh, one of the things I liked about uh, Governor DeWine's speech last week is that he uh, acknowledged that uh, it's important to save lives and livelihoods. But it seems to me that we can't expect the governor to do nothing. So at least at this point, it seems to me, what what do we want? Would we want another massive lockdown, which massacres the economy, or... Are we going to take on um, a mandatory mask thing, which may be able to be helpful? 
I'll go with the mask thing over the lockdown any time, but I'm wondering if those are the only two options that that because he can't just sit around and do nothing. Yeah, I was going to say the you know the the you know my option is door number three here. I'm not going with either one or two. Um, no, I'm not going to wear a mandatory face mask when I am healthy. It is stupid. It is ridiculous. If I'm not healthy, if I'm coughing or sneezing or have a fever or any combination of those symptoms that are associated with COVID, I'm just not leaving the house. I'm going to quote self quarantine so that I'm not potentially sharing any sickness with anyone else. That's number one. Number two, any lockdown. Again, it's been proven to be by multiple judges unconstitutional. He does that at his own peril because he will be sued, not just as the governor, but personally. And number three, the answer is protect the vulnerable. Protect the vulnerable. The vast majority of Ohioans are not going to get sick enough to go to the hospital. They'll get sick, they'll get over it, or they won't get sick at all. They'll just be asymptomatic completely, and then they'll be fine. You do not lock down or try to force your your masks upon 11.7 million people for a tiny, tiny, tiny handful of vulnerable people when you can indeed protect those vulnerable people on their own. That's the way you do it. Mora in uh, University Heights. Hi, Mora. Go right ahead. Uh, I was calling about the uh, woman who assaulted the man who was coming out of the store when he took off his mask. Yeah. And uh, she claims to have that she has COVID nineteen. I'm wondering why she wasn't quarantined. Great question. Great question. Why anyway? Why wasn't she just self quarantining? Because that's the one thing that all governments, including those who scream wear your masks, have said: don't go out if you're sick. If you have it, or if you think you might have it, or if you're symptomatic, please stay home. So here's a woman who's screaming at other people to wear their mask, who violated their, their her own advice and the advice of the government officials that are telling her to wear masks, which is stay home if you are sick. So she's either lying, trying to scare him by spitting on him and saying, I have COVID, or she has it and she is a giant hypocrite. Maura, great call, great point. I didn't even think of it that way, but I'm glad you did. Appreciate that. Maureen in Parma next. Hi, Maureen. Go ahead. Good morning, Bob. Hi. Morning. I'm, I'm sitting here looking at a study done by our local hero, hero uh, Sherry Tenpenny. Uh, have you ever had her on your show? I have. And, uh, in fact, I've talked to her off the air, too. She'll be coming on again soon. Oh, good. Okay, so she put together 42 studies about the efficiency of masks. And without a doubt, um, there is no efficiency of a mask. It can never fight a virus because the virus particles are so small they're um, smaller than the openings on the any one of the fabrics. Right, right. Yeah, she, yeah I did see that, too. She, she and others have been citing uh, studies that have been done about the efficacy of masks, and, and you're right, and she's right, and the those who are, again, attempting to uh, keep us locked down in fear, um, they don't want to hear it. They discredit those as being junk science, and the only science that counts is the science that comes from the CDC. And, of course, the CDC doesn't know what the hell it's doing because they have said one thing and then the other every other day since this whole thing began. Thanks so much for the phone call. Let me get a timeout for news. Jack Windsor is going to join us on the other side. tell you, DJ Andrew is on his game. Perfect song to bring in a segment in which we're going to talk about the New York Times. 
Dirty laundry indeed. Digging it up wherever they can find it, especially if it helps them kill a narrative that they don't want to allow to be advanced. By the way, the New York Times, did you know this? The New York Times is owned by a family of slave owners. Where's the cancel culture now? Where are you liberal Democrats all over the Internet who wants to tear down a statue of George Washington, the founder of our country, to eliminate his image from our money, to tear down all the founding fathers, anybody who owns slaves, come for the cancellation of the New York Times. If you didn't see this yesterday, massive investigative article in the New York Post. Now, some may say, well, that's just you know rivalry. That's just you know a, a competitor trying to take down another competitor. Maybe. Maybe not, but the investigation is, you know, somebody's going to have to vet it and verify it. But Michael Goodwin in the New York Post wrote a huge piece yesterday claiming that ancestral members of the family that owns the New York Times included slave owners, contributed to Confederate memorials after the Civil War, and maybe even engaged in slave trading. All of it's there. Where are you, cancel culture? Let's talk about it. Does the New York York Times have to get canceled? How about Yale? One of the leading institutions of liberal indoctrination in the Ivies is Yale. Founded by Elihu Yale, who was indeed a slave trader. Not just a slave owner, but involved in slave trading. Capturing, imprisoning, selling, etc. Yeah, when are they coming for Yale? Chances are the cancel culture is not going to come for the New York Times. And they're not going to come for Yale. You know they're going to come for? Jack Windsor. (laughs) Jack Windsor. They're coming for Jack Windsor and Alex Berenson, a former New York Times reporter who saw the light, by the way, and got out. Because they are challenging the narrative, being pushed by the fear mongers who are engaging in social control of the people over the Chinese coronavirus. Piece ran yesterday in the New York Times, written by Ben Smith, challenging and trying and defaming, essentially, and trying to uh, discredit reporters who are not kowtowing to the fearmongers in charge of governments, including the federal government. Jack Windsor joins us now on AM 1420, The Answer, to discuss. Jack, of course, is an independent journalist working now for WMFD television out of Mansfield and covering Governor Mike DeWine's daily press briefings on the coronavirus and more. Jack, good to have you back. How are you? Bob, France, I'm super fantastic. It's an honor to be here with you and uh, the 1420 audience. Thanks for choosing me. It uh, it should be an honor for you to uh, be the target of the New York Times. <laughs> you know, I mean, Jack, you're doing something right if you've got the New York Times dispatching a reporter from Manhattan to come out here to Mansfield, Ohio, or to Columbus, Ohio, and take down this guy who's causing problems for the narrative uh, in Ohio. That's the way I see it. Um, I'm going to leave this up to you, Jack, to tell as much or as little about what they reported about you. Um, you know, essentially trying to discredit you in your personal life and in your career or in your family life in order to take the attention away from the reporting that you're doing. I don't want to read this to the people because I don't know how much you want to give them the time. Well, I appreciate that. And you said something at the, at the top 
that I think truly applies, and it's cancel culture. And it's if they don't like what I'm asking or speaking or covering, then then they want to silence it. And the question I have is, why is the guy from Manhattan who broke the Steele dossier story uh, involving what, what was believed to be Russian collusion, which has been debunked, why is that guy coming to Ohio to talk to me? What is it about me? And, and Berenson certainly has enough street cred to, to put his picture in the paper and to, you know, have him on the headline. But, but it was me. And that, to me, speaks to, to one of two things. And this is going to be a bold claim, but I've been going through it in my mind. It's all I can come up with. Okay. One, this is bigger than Ohio, and they're trying to get out in front of what I would call an awakening and a pushback. Or two, DeWine called the dogs. Now, I do know the administration did provide the Times my number, and I, I found it peculiar at the end of the article. Whoa, 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 hold on. Say that again? You're saying the DeWine administration gave your personal number to the New York Times? Yes, that is correct. Now, if he would have done some digging and, and submitted some information request acts or forms, excuse me, he probably would have gotten his hands on it anyway. But yes, I have confirmation that the administration gave him my number, and that's how he reached out. And the other important part is that in the article, late in the article, the writer talks about a Freedom of Information Act request that he made regarding a message I sent to the lieutenant governor back in May, and he published that, which is fine. Uh, I have nothing to hide in any part of my life. But what's interesting to me about that is uh, that probably uh, was made and honored within a week. I'm two months in, in my Freedom of Information uh, Act request for information on partners in health, the agreement, the relationship, the communication between the administration and the Ohio Department of Health and partners in health. And I can't, I can't get any information. But this guy comes in, and boom, here's 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 the information. So there's a lot about it. Um, I'll kind of stop there. I will say this: um, context is everything. Uh, there, there's a, I mean, my goodness, there's a, there's so much in that article that is uh, false, half true, and without context. Now, to the writer's credit, I had a short conversation with him when he invited me to to do an interview, and. It was the day before the governor was to give a, that surprise press conference on a Wednesday. Mm-hmm. And I was already stacked pretty full. And then later in the day, I found out we had a pressure. And I said, no, it's probably not going to be a good idea that we get together. Um, but we can you know, try to work something out over the phone or you know, I can answer some questions. And that didn't pan out. So a lot of the information is without context, but it's probably because I didn't give him the interview. And between you and me, I knew out of the gate that this wasn't about uh, holding hands and singing Kumbaya. So he, he was going to write what he was going to write. And as a writer, I would assume that what he wrote was already framed up. That was the information he was going to build from and then you know, utilize whatever we mm-hmm. talked about to, to fill him in the length. There's, there's little question about that when you read the rest of the article, which focused on Berenson. And, and for those who have not read it, first of all, I wouldn't waste my time if I were you. That's why I'm not going to read any of this to you, but I did want to give Jack a forum to respond to it because some of it gets a little bit, like I said, personal and, and ugly. And, and the suggestion to an uninformed reader might be that you have done things, um, uh, that are that are distasteful uh, to, to 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 try to phrase that as mildly as I can. Yeah. Um, yeah. And again, without getting into it, I mean, this isn't exactly private. It's now in the New York Times, so I'm not I'm not able to hide right. things. But 
Um, but the vast majority of the article, for those who haven't read it, is on Alex Berenson. Uh, Jack has mentioned at the beginning and is featured in the photograph uh, and then is, ta- is tagged at the end again with another little hit piece on him. But the, the bulk of it is Berenson. And as you said, Jack, um, you didn't sit down with him because you kind of knew how it was going to go. You have evidence of that as he describes the contentious conversation with Berenson. You knew that he was there with an axe to grind, not to get to uh, you know the truth about something, but to establish the storyline that he wanted to establish and look for uh, look for statements that might be made by you or by Berenson that can help buttress that. Yeah, that's exactly right. And you know, for me, I don't, I, I didn't get into this to to be the news. I got into this uh, to help shine the light on what's going on. You know, prior to working with WMFD, I was two years in the in the news business, and you know, he got that part wrong in the article. And uh, and I don't want to give him a ton of credence and go in and point counterpoint everything because I just think that that that's a long trail we could go down. Uh, but I have nothing to hide in my life, and you know, the bulk of my work regarding the governor has been on here's the data, here are the gaps. Why are why are these gaps here? Why is this policy misaligned? And and, and that's really why people have um, have reached out, and, and, I, and I think why people have appreciated the work that uh, that we've been able to do. And you know, it's shocking to me that that isn't something that that was covered. It was really a you know a, a personal attack. And again, I'll go back yeah. to what I think it is. I think it's cancel culture. It, this isn't the first time we've seen it. You know, there, there's a senator in Ohio who the governor called out from the podium one day and absolutely twisted and, and perverted what really happened, and you know that caused him some some momentary uh, you know damage to his his political reputation. Now he's since recovered, but you know we've seen it, and, and I saw it with protesters, people who were um, not the, you know the, the the angry violent protesters, but the people who were early on protesting because they felt like their, their civil liberties were being trampled, they were guilted and shamed. And, you know, I could, I could go on down. There's, there's, a, there's a movement now within the Ohio Department of Education to uh, implement new curriculum that, that, that erases or cancels part of our history because they want to rewrite it according to, to the way that they want it. Mm-hmm. And I just see this stubborn attitude of, if I don't like what you are, I'm going to cancel you. And, um, you know, uh, the opinion editor wrote a, a pretty scathing piece, Barry Weiss, uh, last week when she resigned. Right. And said exactly what we're talking about. It, this is bullying. They bullied me as an employee. They, they, they pick out other people and they try to bully them. And, and they're going to discredit the heck out of people. Um, and that's the tactic. They want to scare you into compliance. And, you know, last night we heard that a, a federal judge's husband was shot. In uh, I believe it was New Jersey, and she's the one that's going to be trying the Deutsche Bank ace uh, that was brought on behalf of investors, and Jeffrey Epstein is involved. And is it all linked? That that sounds like a, con- a con- conspiracist thought, but you know, to me, the attitude is all linked. If, if we don't want the information out, you know, we're going to start by pressuring you and trying to embarrass you, and uh, you know, God forbid, you know, you don't get to the level where people are doing crazy, heinous things like showing up disguised as a delivery driver. You know, shooting a gun at your door, but it's a crazy world we live in, and I just, you know, I'm thick skin, man. I've told you this from day one, and it, it doesn't bother me. Um, I'm, I'm not perfect. I'm certainly not who he tried to make me out to be, um, but it's, it's embarrassing for me, for him. Uh, you know, if, if you want to talk about journalistic integrity, let's, let's talk about it, and um, let's talk about the work that I've done. But that's not really what the piece echoed, and that's a little bit disappointing. But again, at the end of the day, I knew from the first time I stepped up to the podium and asked Amy Acton a question about immunity certificates 
um, mandated vaccines, and I got the gasps behind me from the, the press corps, I knew that I was in for a battle, and I knew that ultimately it would probably lead to this and more. So not surprised, but, um, you know, it is what it is, and it certainly doesn't deter me. Jack, uh, we're talking to Jack Windsor, WMFD TV in Mansfield again. He's uh, he's made the New York Times for the, all the wrong reasons. Uh, and technically, for the state, if I may, for the sake of Ohioans, it's for all the right reasons because you are fighting on behalf of Ohioans to get the truth. That's it. To get that's what journalism used to be about: get the truth from the governor, get the truth from the Ohio Department of Health, get the truth uh, from from all of the various uh, reporting uh, counties, uh, county boards of health, uh, to find out exactly what is going on here. That's all you doing and so from from ohio standpoint you made it for the right reasons because you're doing things that we need to know and the left doesn't like it which is why they came for you jack i told you i would give you as big of a forum as i'm able to provide to respond to anything the new york times might say to you and that's why we're here right now you notice you've been on with me for almost 20 minutes and we have not talked about partners in health we have not talked about uh, the uh, the suppression of data. We have not talked about the double counting and all the other things that you know you normally talk about. Their goal was to get all of that out of the headlines and get the personal attack on your personal life in the headlines so nobody will right. pay attention to you anymore. So Precisely. I said I would give you every bit of the form that I can give you, and that's why we're here. Is there anything in particular in that article you want to say or, or respond to, or do you just want to let it sit with, you know what, this is cancel culture, and I'm with you, by the way. Either way, um, yeah. it's cancel culture. They're trying to cancel you, trying to diminish your credibility so that nobody will pay attention to those pesky little facts that you keep uncovering and reporting on. Yeah, you know, I, I appreciate that, and, and I'm tempted because, I, you know, sometimes I get like a bulldog, and, and I want to just dive in and, and chomp down on something and, 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 and you know, pull it out and, and let's talk about it. Um, you know, I, no, I, I think anybody who knows me knows who I am and, and what my work is about, and, and I'll let that stand. Um, Got it. But, you know, I, the other thing that I want to say in, in relationship to this article, um, and, and it's going to be a little bit of a stretch, but here's how I see it showing up. I see it showing up the way that it showed up in that article. I also see it showing up. I was down uh, at the State House on Saturday, and I was covering the several rallies or, or, you know, events going on and mm-hmm. a couple thousand people. And one of the events was a, a freedom rally that I was standing there covering. And I saw something and I'm going to, I'm going to, sh- I'm going to shine light on it because I think it's really important for people to understand that this is going on today and it is real. And I'm going to call it manufactured news. I'm standing there watching someone speak and an opposing or counter protester comes over and stands right up, you know, right in front of the person. And, uh, a certain group of people around the, the counter protester just encircled that person to say, you know, look, no, you know, don't be violent, don't push, don't do whatever. But what was interesting is that when that person came in, right, uh, there were three of them, two camera crews came in from two separate stations right behind the person and stood there, you know, while they were there for 10 or 15 minutes and, you know, it looked like it got heated. It was, it was under control. And then as soon as that was over, the camera crews left. And then you scratch your head and go, now, wait a minute. Why? How did they know that that protester was going to, counter protester was going to walk right in and do the thing? And, and, you know, they stay there for that. And then they're out, you know, they split. And I had some friends that I talked to on the way home from that rally. And I said, well, what did you see? Oh my gosh, it looked like total chaos because, you know, this counter protest. And I was like, wow, that's, that's crazy. 
this group was there for three hours and you know people of all colors and and, and all beliefs were, were, were standing there talking about freedom as being the unity uh, and and you didn't get any of that you got this manufactured event and what's going to end up being the case is jack i'm short on time here but let me yeah. jump in um did yeah. you see any mic flags any signage on the cameras any 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 uh, patches on the gear jackets shirts to see who these um news cameras work for i did i did i did I, I'm going to throw him under the bus. I, I'm, I'm so hesitant to do that, even though. Well, you don't have to do that now, Jack. Jack, you don't have to do that now. But I ask only to see if we can follow up because I would like to know yeah. if they. How yeah. did they know to come up there right when this was going to happen, and why did they leave right when it left? How do we know that this wasn't somebody that they, you know, knew was going to, or perhaps even coerced into going up there and standing and evading the personal space of a speaker and waiting for a confrontation to happen for their cameras? Um, I would like to know who those news agencies are, and I would like follow ups to be done about that. So as long as you okay. know who they are, we can throw them under the bus later once we find out maybe what they were all about. All right? Okay. And I won't even call that throwing them under the bus. I would call that exposing them for what they are. Uh, Jack Windsor, uh, I appreciate your professionalism. Uh, I know it cannot be fun to see your name dragged through the mud in a publication like the New York Times. But as always, we consider the source. Uh, keep up the good work. Do not let them deter you from that. We appreciate it th- very much, Jack Windsor. Thank you. Thank you. God bless you. Jack Windsor uh, on AM 1420, The Answer. He's going to join me later in the week, by the way, to talk about the actual news again. Uh, Governor DeWine is apparently going to issue some new orders this week. We don't know what they are. Probably a statewide mask mandate. But Jack will be there front and center for those things, and he'll talk to us later this week as well. For now, final timeout. Back after this. If you ever miss an interview on this program, uh, don't forget, or even just a segment, or a show, or an hour. It's all available on podcasts, whkradio.com, whkradio.com. Uh, go to the podcast page. You see the menu at the top. Go to local podcast. Go to the Bob France Authority and listen to it. We had Congressman Jim Jordan in hour number one. We had Jack Windsor in hour number two. Jack Windsor is in a tough spot. I told you last week I was worried about him because I knew the New York Times was coming for him because he's effective at what he does. And that is shining a spotlight on some of the corruption and some of the lies and some of the dishonesty coming from the DeWine administration as it pertains to their COVID orders. I knew this, and I knew it was going to come, and they did. And uh, so I wanted to give him a forum. I told him, any times they come for you, you want to come and respond to it, uh, you can. And uh, without repeating any of the salaciousness that they wrote about him, I wanted to just give Jack an open forum. And I thought Jack did a great job of that. So um, if you missed that interview, you should listen to it. It's on our podcast page, or it will be in about 10 minutes at whkradio.com. Paul is calling us from Hinkley. He's going to be our last caller of the day. Paul, you're on the air. Go right ahead. Hey, uh, Bob. Enjoy your program. Thank you. All this narrative is is a national narrative that Governor DeWine is good and uh, Jack Winder, Winters is bad. That's the idea. Just put that idea in people's minds and, and keep it going, and that's the way they're going to play it. Well, you're right. That is their goal. Their goal is to discredit him and make him sound like a bad person or a bad reporter or a bad journalist. Or, you know, they they attacked his career, talked about other things he's done in his career, personal life stuff. All of that is intended to do exactly what you said. Make it seem like Governor DeWine is virtuous. This reporter who's a thorn in his side is obviously bad. He's a bad seed. He's evil. He does bad things, blah, blah, blah. They're trying to discredit him. Why? Because it's effective. 
If you pay attention to the reporter and the reporter's personal life, then you won't pay attention to his reporting. And that's their goal. And uh, I, for one, am going to continue to promote Jack's reporting because it's been accurate. It's been factual. And that's what should matter. Used to matter to publications like The Times. All right, Peter Kirsten now joins us tomorrow. We'll talk to you then. Have a great day. Bye-bye.